So I've been reminded recently about the inevitability of change. Sometimes uh, in, in wilderness therapy programs, um, kids are encouraged to not do certain things. One of the things that, that our students are encouraged not to do is a, a thing called future tripping. Um, or, you know, seeking for information about the future, future information. And one of the goals of this idea is to remain present, stay in the now. And there's reasons to remain present or stay in the now. Sometimes this concept of uh, getting people to not future trip is is um, sort of forced and, and, and it is very um, uh, uh, constructed artificially as a way to to stay in the present is to not do the future tripping. Well, sometimes uh, past tripping happens as well. Um, I'm a contextual type person, and so I often think of the past and, you know, past trip a little bit. Sometimes I future trip. All of us do that in one way or another. Past tripping, among other things, involves not, not wanting things to change. Getting accustomed to something, not, not wanting it to change. Some people love things to change, frenetically wanting to, things to change all the time. Other people, man, they just want that, that particular thing to be like it always was. Um, years ago, I was working at another program, and I had uh, taken out of a, a box of, of some of the old stuff that I'd been working on in the past, making uh uh, a piece of wood. I had started working on what's called a bull roarer. A bull roarer is a piece of wood that is carved and shaped in such a way that if you put it on the end of a string and then spin that string, it will spin and then it'll spin the other way. And and some of these things are pretty loud. Uh, several cultures made these. The word bull roarer is uh, probably an anglicized word of some language in the uh, on the Australian continent. They made these little twisty, buzzy board things. Um, the Apaches in the American continent and the Hopi, sev several cultures all over the world actually had some form of this, you know, spinning device. Um, and I had started one and had left it uh, for years just in a box. Now, where I had gotten this piece to make this bull roar, I saw a, um, a tree it was in one of the, the, the very first programs that I worked at. There was this tree at the confluence of where one little creek goes into another creek. And uh, you could tell it had been struck by lightning, and there's like this sliver at the top of it, you know, about 15 or so feet up. And this little sliver was a perfect piece to start making a bull roar with. So I climbed up this tree, and I cut off this sliver. And I worked on it a little bit, and then I got home off of my my period of time working in the wilderness for that week and I put it in a box and I just really didn't think of it again for a while. So that confluence of that, where that one Creek goes into the other one called Squaw Creek and goes into Houston Creek and about a half mile down Houston Creek goes into the Verde river. So it was this place I knew really well. Um, anyway, so years later I'm working at a whole other wilderness therapy program and I, before I went out to the wilderness, I grabbed that same piece of wood from that tree uh, at the confluence of 
of the, the these creeks, and I took it out out to the wilderness with me, and I decided I was going to finish it. Well, that uh, particular week, I was in charge of a group, uh, and one of the boys was going to see his parents uh, for the first time in however many weeks they were coming to visit him in the field. Um, and I had this piece of wood, and I was working on my bullroarer. I was going to finish this, so I told him, you know what, why don't you make a bullroarer as well? You know, let's, let's make this together, and uh, when you're off on solo waiting for your parents to come, the way I will check on you is when I get mine done, I will spin it, and when you hear it, you spin yours, and that's how I'll check on you. I'll know that you're still there. Uh, so he's working on his, I'm working on mine. And uh, he went off on a solo, and I checked on him a few times. But while he was on a solo, I had got this, you know, this old bull roar blank that I had left alone for probably six or so, six, seven years. And I got it out, and I started working on it. And I noticed something right away. In the intervening six, seven years, I had gotten better at carving. Um, and I hadn't gone back to that particular piece of wood for that long. And as I, as I was carving it, I noticed I, I, I noticed that the way I had carved that piece of wood that many years ago was, was uh, flawed. It, it, it was um, I could see evidence of somebody who wasn't as experienced as I was in making this particular device because of the way that I had carved it in sort of imbalanced ways. And so I pictured myself as I was correcting the mistakes of this, this younger carver, um, I, I was kind of talking to myself, almost like I was going back in time saying to myself, you know what, this is where you didn't quite, you, you, what you should have done is carved on this side first and then brought these two sides in or whatever, you know. I remember talking to myself, ah, you didn't catch this very well, you could have done this a little bit better, thinking, you know what, I've actually, I've changed in ways I didn't know I had changed. You know, and sometimes that's the way change happens. You, you don't know you made these changes. So, when I looked at that same piece of wood the second time, I was experiencing the piece of wood in a completely different way because I was a different person. Um, there's cartoon Pocahontas. Uh, one of the songs, uh, I believe, one of the lyrics is, you, you, uh, you can't step into the same river twice. And, uh, the, but, but, but the idea there is because the river changes. The river's changing. Well... You, you can't step into the same river twice because you're a different person stepping into the river every time. You don't experience that river the same way. Again, it's, it's a new river to you because you're different. So we don't step into the same river twice because the foot that is ours is different now. So the hand that was shaping this piece of wood the, the, the right way to have a particular function was a different person now, um, instructing this past person, recognizing their mistakes. And I had realized then that I have grown. I, I'm, 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 I'm working here. I'm doing okay. Um, sometimes we just need to acknowledge that we're doing okay, that we are progressing. Um, acknowledge our progress maybe a little bit more than 
putting ourselves down for not progressing enough, not working fast enough, hard enough, comparing ourselves to somebody else that we think does really well. We are, we are progressing sometimes more than we think we are. And I learned that day, what do you know? Progressing. So it just so happened that, uh, that young man made his bull roar and he's down in this camp and I would spend mine, he would spend his. And that happened, you know, five or six times a day or more. Every time I spun mine, he spun his. Well, these, his parents were coming to visit, I believe like two days later or any, anyway, the day and a half later. So the next day I went down and I, I, I stopped the, the, the transport people that were bringing these parents. I stopped all of them and said, hey, I want to do something a little bit different. I want you, mom and dad, to go ahead and spin this bull roar. And what your son knows is that if he hears it, he is to spin his. And by the way, he didn't know his parents were coming to visit at all. He just knew to respond to the sound with his sound. So I told the parents, uh, you know, sometimes we think we're communicating well, and we might not be. Sometimes we have to put in the effort, change how we're trying to communicate in order to get to our kids. It's not about expecting them to hear. It's about have we have we sent our signals clear enough, well enough. So gave it to the dad, dad spun it. <laughs> he spun his and his son could hear his son spinning his. And these two parents were like, what? And they were all excited. And the mom's like, give that to me. So she took it from the dad and she ran off into the trees, spun it. He spun his. By that time, I had walked away and went up kind of on a ridge, and I could see, with a couple of, of my fellow instructors, I could see this happening. So this boy was at camp, his dad would spin it, he'd grab, grab his, spin his, mom would spin it, and then you could tell that he was getting a little frustrated, like, why are you having me spin my bull roar like 10 times, you know, in, the, in a two-minute period? So he was standing there, spinning his thing, and then trying to cook or whatever, and then mom would spin, dad, and so they would move closer, as per my instruction, move closer. When you hear his sound, you will find him by communicating. So uh, we find each other, by the way, by sending out the signals that allow them to signal back so that we can get closer. Hard at peace signals. So she spun, he spun, dad spun, mom spun, he spun, and then I could see from my vantage point, this mom kind of popping out of the trees into a little bit of a meadow, and she spun it, and he went over and grabbed his, slightly sort of like frustrated again, and went to spin it, and then noticed his mom. Never seen a kid run faster through the meadow, just about tackled his mom. They're all crying, and they all just really loved this, you know, bull roar. We ended up calling it the bull roar ceremony. And gosh, that was uh, eight, 18-ish years ago, or uh, yeah, something like that. And now there's probably been over a thousand families that have come together in that way doing the bull roarer ceremony. That was the first one. And it was connected to this idea that I, de I decided to take my, my bull roarer blank from that box and work on it again that day. And notice how I had changed. Sometimes noticing how you change and that you're, you're doing better, that you're progressing in life, sometimes that's connected to actually letting go of 
the past, which sometimes is very good. Um, so uh, another uh, example of this is, is again, early on in my career working in the wilderness um, with a couple other people, I had I was hiking up this, this very big canyon, um, and we had spent the night near a ruin, and you know, I, I had this particular experience with this canyon, having hiked up it four or five days. And about 25 years later, I, I went to take some people up through that same canyon. And I went back to kind of scout it out. And I remember I drove back and forth up and down this canyon. I knew I was generally in the right place. But I couldn't remember. I remembered huge landmarks, but I couldn't pin down precisely where I was. And then uh, uh, sort of throughout that process, I realized I know I'm in the general area. I know I have walked across these places right here before, but it looks different. It feels different. Everything seems different about this place. Then it dawned on me, I'm different. So you, you, you can't step in the same river twice, not because the river changes, even though it does, because you have. You can't experience the same canyon twice, not because the canyon had changed, um, there were there were aspects of that canyon that hadn't changed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but I had changed in 25 years, and so there were just nuances about how I was experiencing this place that were so different. It almost seemed foreign. I had had that many more experiences, uh, had gained that many more skills or whatever that it just seemed seemed a little bit smaller in scale. For example, it just was was different. This archway right here uh, was one of the first places that I came to to take pictures for uh, like brochures and whatnot for the program that I was you know working at at the time. Still I am actually. Um, that was uh, 12 years ago. This where the rocks are kind of you know coming down a little bit, it wasn't that bad 12 years ago. This is probably going to fall in, in the relatively near future, you know, it could hang on for another 20 years, I guess, but it's looking looking pretty scary um, in terms of falling one of these days. Um, so I, you know, hiked around this, took different pictures of it. I am now experiencing this little archway differently. It's a little bit different, but I'm not experiencing it differently because it's different. I'm experiencing it because I'm different. Uh, sometimes we experience people differently because we're different. Sometimes it's okay to allow people to be different themselves so they can experience us differently. So appreciating the goodness of the past is great. Holding on to the past may inhibit experiencing fully the blessings of the present. And it also may inhibit how we construct the future. And, and this is sort of the, the realization I've made of late, we, we let go of the past anyway. We experience everything differently anyway. So why not intentionally let go of the past? If we can't help, um, if we can't help letting go of the past, I let go uh, without even trying my perception of how I was able to carve a bull roar. 
um, I didn't even know I had let go of my perception of how I experienced that that particular canyon, uh, how I ex- experienced this. Um, we can't stop letting go of the past anyway. So maybe we can do it intentionally. Of those things that have happened to us that we would rather have not have happened to us, for example, um, what does it mean to let that go? What does it mean to experience that differently? We do anyway. So maybe we might as well just choose how we experience it anew. I heard it said that uh, anger is nothing more than demanding a better past and an ideal future. Demanding a better past and an ideal future is certainly not just being present and uh, probably keeps us angry for a long time. Anyway, um, that piece of wood that I mentioned in the beginning is this. This exact piece is what I uh, carved off of the top of that tree that had been struck by lightning. And then I finished about uh, seven years later. And that became the, the first ceremony of hundreds of family, families coming together ceremonies. Now, that same canyon that I mentioned, I took my children through about 10 years ago, which would have been uh, about 15 years or so after I cut this out of that tree that with me and my more grown children were walking right by. So I experienced that little canyon, the confluence of Squaw Creek and Houston, and where Houston goes into the Verde River in a completely new way than I had ever experienced it before because I was there with my six children, the youngest of which was nine years old and was able to do the trek. So we all did it and not... 200 yards from the spot where we all camped as a family, um, the evening after we passed the tree where I carved this, my wife and I met, um, hunting down crawdads and boiling them with a group of boys in the wilderness before any of our children were born. I experienced that canyon a completely new way as well. So if you don't know uh, sort of how this works, I'll just go ahead and show you now. Right here, hopefully I don't hit things. Um, hopefully I stay in, in camera as well. So. Still works beautifully after 20 years.